What's going on? Let's try that again. Hey, everyone. What's nice up, to people? see What's you. Up? What's oh, up? Oh, man. This is so weird. This is amazing. Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, like, this doesn't feel like a dream, but it doesn't feel real either. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, thank you all so much for coming out tonight. It means so much to us. Um, as many of you probably know, we are Over the Bridge Podcast. Woo! Jesus. We're called Over the Bridge Podcast. So we've been going for like just under a year. Um, my name is Bilal. I'm Quirky. What's going on, people? Patrick. P-Money. Tom. Tommy Dyer. There What's good, go. people? What's good? <laughs> Tommy Dyer. Uncle Kwame. Uncle he goes Kwame by many well. names. Yeah, even tonight, several, I, was like, days, man. I was like, which version of Tom's even turning up? They're all three of them. All three. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as many of you know, like our podcast is just four guys. We're all good friends. And we talk about things that are really, really important to us. And we hope they're important to people that we listen to. Um, but really, like, why did why are we here? Like, why do we do this? Q Patrick. Q um, Patrick. No. Um, so we started, um, this whole thing started off um, actually from, like, an argument on Twitter, I think it was. Um, well, two incidents on Twitter. Um, the first one was, uh, so I don't know who started the conversation, but the conversation was centered around, like, Oxbridge and people applying to go there and what is it like. So Oxbridge, Cambridge and Oxford um, universities. And so you guys know we, we were at Cambridge. Um, so I waded into this Twitter conversation and was just sort of giving my kind of like honest assessment of what I thought it was like to go there. Because a lot of people that were in the conversation, they hadn't been there. They were kind of like speculating. So I was like, you know what? Like sometimes I wonder if Cambridge was really worth it. Um, and everybody started like having a go at me. They clutched the, you know, their pearls and whatever, and was like, "How can you say such a thing?" You know, like there's people that have like, you know, sacrificed so much to like go there. Like that's like their aim and their like goal in life. And I was like, yeah, "That's that's that was me as well." Like fair play to them, um, but like I'm here to give like a balanced assessment of what it was like, um, and it didn't go down very well. So I thought, you know what, screw you guys. Like I'm gonna do a podcast. Um, <laughs> Because um, Twitter is not a place to have nuanced discussions. So I'll just let you know that from now. It's not a place for that at all. It's a place for... Um, no, let me not get into that. Um, and then the other discussion was... Um, we were talking randomly about chicken connoisseur. Uh, and we... Oh, yeah. Again, it was a nuanced discussion. These things don't really happen on Twitter enough. Uh, and... It, like me and you were in the conversation. I think Quaker was in the conversation I, as well. I still don't know this story properly. Okay, so you weren't there. You were but, actually uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about chicken connoisseurs. Yeah, we're, it was it was a while ago. We're basically having refresh, a debate refresh about my memory. It's been a long Christmas. Well, the thing with chicken connoisseur, the discussion was about whether like is this kind of like plain to the white gaze? Is it like appropriative? Like, is it a bit kind of problematic? And I can't remember who it was. I wish I could now because I want to give them a shout out. But they were like, you guys, you should do this on a podcast. So it's a good discussion. So we're like, yeah, man, this is a second sign. Let's let's do a podcast. So August 2017, we did our first episode. Um, we recorded it and just left it alone. Uh, and then six months later, we're like, we should put out that recording that we've done and like see what happens with it. And we did that and it went fairly well. So we did a few more episodes and 26 or 25 episodes later, here we are. Um, so yeah, man, it's been, it's been a ride. Like, you know, been, you guys yeah. can talk about what happened this year because it's been a bit, a bit of a crazy year. A lot of accolades. A lot accolades. Of accolades. accolades. <laughs> so yeah, obviously season one went really well. Initially, we were kind of keeping the conversation quite internal. So it's like just us lot in the studio, just having our little conversations. And then season two, we kind of stepped up a gear 
they started getting more guests in and trying to get more external voices. And yeah, a couple, couple people, you know, couple. Drop the names, man. I mean, there was me, there was you. There was that. <laughs> All right, cool. The big, big Mike. The big, the, I, uh, you know, Big Mike came down, which was amazing. Stormzy. Um, Stormzy we know him as Big Mike. We call him Big Mike. But yeah, yeah we're Storms, like that now, so we can yeah. just, yeah. But um, no, that was that was obviously like a big highlight of the year. Yeah, but it and wasn't just him. Like there was a lot the of other, poet. Yeah, um, yeah, man. Loads of people came through and yeah. like added to the conversation. So no, we've we really enjoyed it. It's been a mad journey. So thank you all for kind of following the journey with us. Yeah. And obviously more to come. Thank you so much. Yeah, we want to we want to thank you. So actually, like a huge round of applause for our listeners because they've been the people who've brought us where we are today. Yeah, yeah. So massive so. round of applause. See you lot, man. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. So I guess let's get into what tonight is, right? So you lot turned up probably thinking, what's going on, man? Who are these guys? I don't even know them. And someone else has dragged me here. That's cool. Thanks for coming. Um, we're going to be talking about dictating the culture. And it's sort of, for us, it's come out of a conversation which happened at the end of last year, which was, what even is culture? And actually, like, are we part of it? Are we creating culture right now by doing this? And we had this whole conversation between us around what that means. Um, and we're lucky to be joined by two incredible guests. Give them a shout out. Big Mark. Woo, who are gonna... Yeah, you're gonna be seeing them on stage in just a bit. But I wanna ask you guys, what is culture, man? Tom, if you don't talk now, man, I'm worried you're not gonna talk all now, um, so... I don't know. <laughs> Tom looks I don't, so I don't tired, actually know man. where to begin. No, I'm just... I... Long day at the office, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like this most of the time. I don't talk and then I just go on like this five-minute rant during podcasts. That is true, yeah. Is, I don't does, talk for about... 15, 20 minutes and I have my little five minute speech and then I'm like, I'm going to shut up. You mentioned a train and that's it. Boom. It's like, okay, yeah. right. So basically- I don't this know. Culture, man. What is culture? I don't know. Culture is what you, it's what you see, it's what you know, it's what you grasp. It's nature and nurture, do you know what I mean? So it's like, for me, growing up in East London, grime is a part of my culture, a very strong part of my culture. Know. That is the nurturing part. The nature part is my parents, half- Half of me is Tommy Dyer going to Upton Park watching West Ham on the weekends. Another part is having jollof rice or mum and plantain, not plantain, plantain. Sorry, let me just... Get that right. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. That's part of my culture. Culture culture is plantain, not plantain. That's to me. That's my culture. No, that's my culture. That's my culture. I'm cancelling Quake, back me. Quake, back me. Why are you not saying nothing, man? Quake, back me, man. We do this all the time. But that's part of my culture, isn't it? So nature versus nurture. Or guy in church on Sunday or mum. It's, it's just what you see, what you know. It's nature and nurture in it is what you make up. So, like, Kweku's from South London, so rap might be a bigger part of culture to him than gra- grime no, is to me, do you know what I mean? Arguable, but yeah, yeah. Cause but I know you like heart A like that, innit? So, yeah, 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 it was a bit, it was a bit <laughs> different, yeah, yeah. But no, I think culture is one, of, it's one of those, like, it can be a full dissertation on what is culture. It's like a very academic question as well. Mm. And, like, there's different things that make up. So there's, like, um, a shared experience or shared behaviors shared interest tastes that all makes up what a culture is and then there's the whole talk about subcultures so like that's what i wanted to talk about so yeah i mean it's, it's a tricky question to really pin down I've, i have a definition a very like actual brave, one or like one you made up it's literally just made up just now so but you're, gonna, you're gonna be controversial, controversial. You're gonna be no, it's controversial. Not, no it's not controversial but i i i think based on stuff that i've read you know i've read a lot of stuff obviously no, um, I think that um, culture is an articulation of a group of people um, that have grouped together based on something that they feel they share in terms of identity. That's that's what. That was deep, you know. In, Boom! You didn't make that. that looked like you no, read no, it. No, I swear, like, literally, I did, I did, I did. But I had like, I had to think about. That's why I didn't talk. 
If I don't okay. talk, I think I'm good, decent stuff. So. What I'd say though, yeah, with with that definition, often, you know, <laughs> with that definition, though, it kind of makes it seem like it's organized. Whereas the way I experience culture is not. There's not like a meeting where people get together and say, okay, this is our culture now. Mm. This is something that kind of sporadic. I don't. I don't think it necessarily has to be organized. Um, I just. It's something. It's like like language as well. Um, it's not something that. It's something that comes about organically, but it is it is linked to an identity that people have decided that they share with each other. Mm. So you know, like when people say things like street culture or urban culture, yeah, or like black culture, it's probably yeah. what they're talking about. Um, what what's the difference between that and like culture as a whole? It's just a subset of like it, there are different, you know, there are different categories of culture, different levels of culture. And when I say level, I don't necessarily mean there really should be a thing as high culture and low, low culture. I think culture should be respected. I, I, I don't know. This is going into dodgy territory here. But I think culture should be respected if it's, you know, it's not detrimental to you know, the well-being of a said group of people or you know, it's not oppressive mm. or whatever. But mm. I guess that's a bit, sort of, that's a bit uh, too idealistic. I think there will be you know, elements of culture that are negative. Um, but my point is, is that I don't. I feel like culture should be be respected. Like grime culture should be just as respected as, you know, classical music. Like I enjoy both. I don't see why there should be a problem with mm. me being able to enjoy both and me having to, like, th- I don't think there should be a hierarchy. Like, oh, you like classical music? That's amazing. I want people to say that when you know. Yeah. I say, you know, you know what? Like I'm, I'm, or... I'm like sitting here smirking, and some people in the room know what I do for a living, and some of you don't. So what I do is I facilitate workshops. And most of the time, they're with people who are like, absolutely not having exactly what you're trying to teach me, right? Because they're like, no way, like my worldview is this way. And whatever you're trying to teach me about your left-wing bullshit is rubbish. And um, I remember being in a workshop one time, and there was a head teacher there. And all I was trying to offer her was that perhaps your students would care more about school if they were reading like grime lyrics than reading Shakespeare. She went on a like 10 minute run at me and then complained about me at the end of the session because to her, she was, she was saying that that's low culture stuff. And I just, I was mind blown because I was thinking, how is this, why is that low culture? But something else, which is also actually about violence, also covering some of the similar topics that perhaps is covered in like grime or rap music. Suddenly that version's appreciated and that version isn't. Mm-hmm. I really, one day I want to, not on this podcast, this um, episode, but one day I really want to talk about how we um, consume violence and how some violence is, seen, is, is depicted as palatable and other violence isn't. So like when we talk about dual music, mm. like everyone's like, oh yeah, the violence in dual music, blah, blah, blah. But then you'll go home and switch on EastEnders and someone's like, okay, EastEnders is probably not the best example, but Luther or, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Luther's, who's been watching Luther, by the way? Big up Luther. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. But we consume a lot of violence. So yeah. this idea that because it's in dual music, suddenly it's this like we as as human beings we love violence. Wait, we love, I think this is why I like um, I was going to say this is why I like drill minister because you see when they not that the the juxtaposition of um, that 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 initial um, Channel Four uh, news clip about explain the, it again. Explain so me. sorry, you're stepping on my mic. Man. Sorry, man. Sorry, man. But, um, so the drill minister, he used lyrics from um, the Houses of Parliament from MPs. Yeah. And it fits so well into the tune that he was doing. And then no MP could say anything because it was like, well, these are all quotes from MPs. 
mostly said that was so in funny, the House man. of Parliament or said or the, you know said publicly, openly, and no one could say anything about Drew was violent because it was like, okay, this is something that has been said out of this very house. And it's like, well, this kind of violence we see from or violent quotes or quotes that we wouldn't expect mm. to see from MPs said, you just wrap it up in another way mm. and you package it in a form which is violent. Well, this is what you get. Wow. And so, isn't, that's like a perfect like portrayal of how we understand like low culture and high culture because drill music, people would consider it low culture and because it's low culture, it's you know deplorable, all the violence they're talking about. Mm. But because this has come from the Houses of Parliament, people are just like, oh yeah, this is you know just really educated Cambridge and Oxford educated people yeah. talking, you know. Yeah. So, but even when it's stuff that's more comparable, so even just within, for instance, say um, the underworld or like um, kind of gang culture, right? Talk it up. You have you have um, East End gangsters like the Cray Twins and all these other people who are celebrated and seen as like pillars of the community in the East End and like South London, etc. Whereas, you know, same thing, same kind of age group, same level of violence, um, same criminality, but then they're depicted as being barbaric and savage. Mm. So you can see even with things that are so closely, well, essentially the same category, there's still mm. a distinction. Do you know, what it just shows, it just ultimately shows how hypocritical we are as human beings or as humanity, how hypocritical we are in the sense that the fact that society at large has chosen to accept one form of violence or one form of right or this is right and he says everything else is completely wrong. Like what? who chooses that this should be right and who chooses that this should be wrong? And on that, I'm just going to hold you, man, yeah? Because that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about who dictates the culture, right? Where do we get this idea of culture from? Um, is it us? Like, do we in this room create culture or do we just, are we recipients of it? Or is it something else right and then part of what we're talking about and what we're going to get into with our very very talented guests this idea actually give our very very talented guests <laughs> one person thank you at the front um is we're going to be thinking about is culture created by creatives do creative people have a say in how we move the culture forward and that's i just want to put a pin in this conversation because we're going to get into this in more yeah, depth yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry man i'm not like <laughs> i'm ready man you're ready yeah, shoot from the hip Cool. Pistol Pat. All right, then. Yeah, so, should we do, should we, okay, so should we get our first guest, our first lovely guest up here? Swazi Michaeli. Take to the stage. Give her a round of applause. Yeah, 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 Swazi. Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. In your burnt orange. You go, girl. Come on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Good evening, guys. Good evening, good evening. Very uh, polite. <laughs> <laughs> Fam, good evening, you're very smart. All of you are very smart. Like you just come oh, up with like in it, like you know when you're thinking, raw, I don't know how to formulate definitions, and you're just like, yeah, I just sat here and thought about it, and I was like, yeah, that took me. I know he's lying. Like, he he's practiced. definitely lying. I've practiced. I'm sorry, man. I he promise practiced. you, I didn't practice. Practiced, but man. I'm one of those people. Before I had this outlet, before I had this podcast, I'm one of those people that just overthink way, way, way too much. So I've probably had this thought before, and I've just had thoughts swelling around in my head. So I'm actually able to share some of these thoughts now in, have a, you, have in a safe you, space. Can I just ask, have you ever like spent time in the bath, like contemplating the existence of life? I don't do baths Whoa, like man. that. How long are your baths? Yeah, I don't. Do no, no, no. Self care and that. You know, I'm, that's what I'm doing in no. 2018, 19. Like I spent a lot of bubble baths over the Christmas period. Yeah. <laughs> that's good, man. Just 
thinking about like life and his existence actually over I, the past couple of years. I don't anyway, do, I yeah, I don't do bubble bars like that. But anyway, this is not about us. Self-care, it's not about bro. me. It's about Swazi. So Swazi, tell us a little bit about what you do. What I do. So my name is Swazi. I am a radio presenter for Kiss FM. Um, I bagged the breakfast show this year, so I was really, come really happy on. about that. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Saturday mornings, Friday nights are no longer available. I'm in bed like year seven times, like nine o'clock, and then <laughs> getting up at ridiculous times to catch the cab to go over. So that's been a really good start to 2019. Um, I won a competition called the Kiss Chosen One competition. So my entry into radio was not your conventional start to radio. I had no experience, um, but jumped into a competition and, and then won it and then became the Kiss Chosen One. So um, do radio. I'm the voice of BBC Sounds. So I picked that up. Um, it's really interesting, actually. So within radio, it's very, very small. And the producer who I began with left to, to work for Radio One. And so uh, Ben Williams, he does all the sports adverts. And they said to him, oh, we're looking for a young voice. And he put my name forward. And before I knew it, they'd got in contact and said, oh, could you just record a few voiceovers? I said, yeah, no problem. And then before I know it, I'm doing all the different voice trials for BBC Sound. So, wow. So can you give yeah. us like a little preview of some of the voiceovers? That you've done? <laughs> yeah. I, might, I might have heard one. That's you might old. have. Okay, this is how it goes. It okay. goes, BBC Sounds, music, radio, Podcast. No, I've definitely right. you know, heard that. Wow. No, that was you. Don't gas me, don't gas me. That was you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to give me your autograph after this, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. The thing is, one time I burped into the mic. Because, like, your mouth gets bare dry. Like, you do, like, so many of them. And before you know it, you need to, like, yeah, I know. I need, I need this. Okay. I need this. So... Um, yeah, I host loads of different events. I did stuff with Go Think Big. They're an amazing platform for young people, giving them career advice. Um, yeah, just kind of like presenting and hosting and just going about life, really. Cool, man. That's an amazing CV, you know. <laughs> like, you'd be like, you guys are so smart. And I'm saying, like, I just want your life. Yeah. <laughs> Real talk. Wicked. So, awesome. you know, like we came in touch through actually like a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, you're sitting there at the front. But Trump. also like before that, I actually saw what you were about on Twitter because you were curating a whole exhibition on Big Big Carnaby Street in the middle of London. And I actually remember walking past on Carnaby Street and saw these posters. I was like, that looks so sick. And I found out it was you behind that. Can you tell us a little bit about like what that was? Yeah, so last year for Black History Month, I curated an exhibition called Too Much Source. Um, Source spelled S-O-U-R-C-E. And the idea behind it was just to celebrate creators who were from the black British community and uh, making history today. Because so many times we talk about black history and automatically we jump to the American narrative, which is a story in and of itself. Um, yeah, but oftentimes, you know, if I, by God's grace, have children, I want them to know who are the names and faces that I should be talking about um, when I look back through the records and think of 2018 and, and, and black history. So, um, yeah, Carnaby Street, there's a little store called We Built This City. Um, they uh, have so many different creatives, but as you can probably imagine, not many people that look like me or my family in, in West End sort of type shops like that. Um, so I just walked in because Kiss is right at the end of Carnaby Street and I went down into the basement and I was like, rah, there's a whole space here just not being used. And I don't think you've got anything going on from Black History Month. So can we do something? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we'd love to. And then like literally posted the deposit for the first day. And I was like, right, I need to like scratch my head and make a flyer or something. Because <laughs> I was ambitious, but then thought, oh, I didn't think this through. So um, yeah, it was just an exhibition. Five days. It was amazing. Loads of people came down. You guys came down and supported, shared at yeah, the man. end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it yeah, was so nice because I hit you guys up on Twitter. Or maybe you guys hit me up on Can't Twitter. I which round it was. But it was yeah. amazing. So they came down one evening because the event was spit into um, half gallery, half open mic night for yeah. people to just share their story wherever they may be in 
their journey of creativity. And you guys came down and I was just like, rah, where's my notepad and pen? Because you guys were just gems in us up, so. Oh, thanks. thanks for having... <laughs> you know what, that was like the first time we had actually had like a proper speaking engagement for Over the Bridge. So yeah, thanks really? for allowing Yeah, yeah. It wow. Me, me and Tommy Dyer. We just, um, yeah. Just gave a little presentation. I was more nervous than I am now. I'm not as nervous now. I'm still a bit nervous. Yeah. But, you know when you said, like one thing I want to come back to in that was you talked about how it's normally American culture that dictates culture. And I, I actually hate that. Like, that's my own personal preference. But like, Talk, if you can, elaborate like a little bit more on the importance of British culture and the importance of like people like us, as you said, dictating or being part of what that yeah. culture looks like. Yeah, I think it's important to, um, I don't know, so my childhood growing up in school, we did Black History Month and I remember looking at Martin Luther King or, um, you know, to be honest, that was about it really. It was just like, without one of our teachers there, we didn't really have much of a black history education, right? So then my mum, being my mum as she is, um, was like, oh, I want to give a little speech at the beginning of the assembly. So the teacher was like, yeah, yeah, cool, come do your thing. And she started talking about like Trevor MacDonald, June Sarpong, um, Reggie Yates. And I was Can you like, imagine being like one of the kids in assembly? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, you've deprived me of names. Like, what That's do you mean? Mom. Yeah. <laughs> and my mum was just giving it straight talk. So um, I just think it was really eye-opening when we learned of British names and names that we saw on TV and, and, and you know, could interact with. And, and that's not to downplay the American narrative. I think there's great lessons we can learn from that. Um, but if we're just consumed with a place that we don't live in, how does that culture then translate into our breathing everyday world? Um, I think it's a little bit difficult, to be honest. So, yeah. And, and just to... Why do you think it is that... Um, Sometimes there appears to be this like obsession. Maybe it's a strong word, but like this obsession with American culture over here when we have a culture here which is just as rich, if not richer, in its own way. I think if we're honest, we love American culture. Like we grow up on American culture. Every Disney thing you have, every kids' show you have has got an American accent. You just you're just saturated by an American sort of influence, aren't you? And even things like my wife and kids, Fresh Prince. We didn't have those equivalents grow. I didn't have those equivalents growing up. So that was what I was used to. That's what I flocked to, the music I listened to. Um, and so it's just so embedded, isn't it? But then when you, like we grew up on um, kidhood. So I used to have regular meetings at my house. We know every word to kidhood, adulthood, all of them. And as much as, you know, the messages in there is all sorts, but it paved the way for a lot of like top boy and the things that you see now. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow, we've got something good going here. And um, we just need to push it and propel it as much as we do as the American narrative. It's, it's funny because um, you mentioned like me as well. Like when we were growing up, we watched like Fresh Prince and um, my, my Wife and Kids and like all those shows on Trouble, all those black shows on Trouble and shout out Disney Channel as well, Proud Family. But it's like, <laughs> shout out, serious shout out, that needs to be on Netflix. <laughs> um, but like, in the 80s, late 70s and 80s, they had like a lot of black British shows mm -hmm. and yeah. which just evaporated. And it's yeah. like, what, what happened there? But anyway, I don't know. Like, obviously, it was I don't like, know. What, the Real McCoy. Like, the Real Desmond's, McCoy, Desmond's, like, yeah, there was. Yeah. yeah, it's like a. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was weird. But also, like, going back to this thing about American culture, I think personally, this is one of. This is something that I have thought about before. I think that American, uh, American culture is the country's biggest export. That is that is what exports the most. Um, to the point where cinema, like cinema started off as like a propaganda um, propaganda machine anyway. Like in the wars, that's how people 
understood what was going on and that's basically how they fed wartime propaganda. So that's how the cinema started. And now, if you look at it, American, American culture, they're constantly, and we are constantly fed American propaganda. And I've said this before, maybe on a podcast, I can't remember. Um, I talk a lot. But um, like, if you think about like any action film, right, you'll have a guy like posing with a gun. And we think that's normal. Okay, it might seem normal now because we've seen it a million times. But imagine if the weapon was something different. Like imagine if it was a dagger, like a man posing with a knife like this. It would look weird. <laughs> but because we've seen it so many times, it's instilled in us that this thing of a hero with a gun is a normal thing. And it may sound very trivial, but you look at how much Americans really go behind gun, like how against they are, how against gun control they are, and how much they will go hard for, you know, having, you know, their right to bear arms. So anyway, that was... That got real political, very quickly. Yeah, sorry, I'm not... <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to get too political, but <laughs> I, I feel like that is, like, quite a... No, no but it's true. But even, sure, even yeah. like, look at the way um, Captain America gets celebrated so much. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's this... He's the, you can, he was a product of propaganda. Do you know what I mean? Like, this guy who wears red, white, and blue, and he only fights with this magical shield because he's just this really strong guy. Mm. This white guy with very Aryan features, do you know what I mean? Mm. Kind of somebody who would protect anybody's Second Amendment right for whatever, the right to bear arms or whatever. But uh, so, and that's that's been ingrained into a lot of people. Because when we say, "Oh, who's your favorite character?" A lot of people say, "In America, oh, I love Captain America." It's like, "Well, he ain't the best, bro." But why do you like him? <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? People I'm like, gonna be Captain controversial America. though. I think he had the best films in the Marvel universe. Yeah, someone so else. Why, why do you think they did that though? <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. you see what I'm saying? Why do you think they did that for Captain America? <laughs> They could have given it to anyone else, but they gave they, the, the special plot line was for my guy because his films are hard. But why are they giving it to my guy? Why yeah, are they giving true. it to Uncle very, Sam, very Captain America? That's very true. Yeah, but I had a up. question, and I'll just relate to. I mean, it's a little bit of a departure, but obviously this whole thing is about dictating the culture, and we're talking about the culture is kind of like it's predetermined. Like when we actually say the culture, what do we mean? I think in my like impression of it is we're talking about Black British culture, right? Yeah. So what are the, if we're talk, saying that culture is like a set of kind of shared behaviours and um, interests and tastes and all that kind of stuff, what mm. makes up black British culture to you guys? Ooh. Yeah, let's, Swazi, man, what do you think? Yeah, Swazi, roll through, man. Tell us what you think. Black British, do you know what? I have to shout out my guy Benjamin Hurst over here, the real Benjamin Hurst. We we have a uh, yeah, shouts to Ben Hurst. Um, we were we have regular tea meetings. We drink a lot of tea together. Um, and you actually said something that spun me the other day. It was that if in school, um, academically, people um, from black or ethnic minority backgrounds, um, if, if the academic route is shut off from you early, um, then you must find other ways to compete with people who are at that level. And if those ways are through dance or through um, the creative industries, um, then black people naturally find a way to become cool because you must compete at a level where someone's um, gone through the academic route. And I I just thought, is it instinctive then, or is it innate that black people just know how to dance or know how to sing or know how to do something? Um, because usually when you walk into a room, for me, I identify quickly who is in the room, who am I gonna spud and catch bants with? When I did the kiss competition, I'm not gonna lie to you, I was like, where's the million in that? Like, <laughs> I, I need to know if, if something goes down, like who's gonna be my friend? Because you're always feeling like you're the minority. You never feel like you are um, the one that's gonna be the majority vote in that room. So um, black culture, I think is banter. I think we're quick on the mark. We're very witty people. Um, we catch jokes very easily. And I think there is that also sense of security in numbers. 
um, that happens. So when if I go out anywhere, you usually see the other black sister or black brother and you just kind of nod. It's kind of that mutual sort of, yeah, I see you, I see you too. We might not talk, but I see you. That head thing. nod, you know? Yeah, you that like. solid head nod. <laughs> That's actually probably how I met all of you at uni. You know? so, yeah, real talk. On yeah. Cedric's like, just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. You're here, I'm yeah. here. We're in a struggle, man. But I, w- I wanted to ask, I wanted to bring the conversation to like, you're, you're a radio host, right? And surely like radio is a medium for culture and the transmission of culture. What, what role do you think radio does play or does it play a role in transmission of culture? I think radio is a huge... Anytime I hold an event and it's radio related, it's the most populated event. You will find people flock to radio events. And I think it's because it may not be so much radio, but it's because music will never go out of fashion. So because music never goes out of fashion and you always need an outlet for music, radio is your number one spot. Um, And so whether that be community radio stations like uh, Represent or it be a commercial radio station like KISS or even something like the BBC, you you need to um, identify that there are different radio stations for different purposes, Mm. right? And they serve different genres of music well. Um, And so for someone like me who's over at KISS, very commercial, we do branded content. You won't find the same content that we produce over at the BBC. Um, that that takes on people like uh, I do Kiss Fresh New Music Nights evening 11 p.m. till midnight. That's no mistake for the young people now. We're working about three four jobs if you're creative, and so you're probably not getting home until what 11 12 gone that time. So if you're locked in from 11 p.m. and hearing the songs that you're banging through iTunes or or, or Spotify or wherever it is, that's going to be a very different um, niche or a market to someone who's listening to one o'clock Radio One. Um, so I think it's very vital. I think it's because music will never go out of fashion. But can in, I just ask and, and follow up? Because we, we had a discussion prior to this about how, so like when we were, not that we're that old, but when we were growing up, the role of the of radio and the DJ feels very different to the role of the DJ now in the sense that if you go back to <laughs> like Funk Flex or Westwood or Logan or something like that, they were the ones that gave you the premieres first that doesn't really happen any. Sometimes it might do, I know it might do like an Annie Mac or someone like that or Pete Tong or whatever, but it doesn't really feel to happen that that much anymore. So how much do you think the influence um, uh, that radio, how much, you know, the influence that radio brings, do you think it's changed that much and how do you think it's changed over the years? So the saddest thing about working in radio and spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know is that you don't get to pick the music. That's a massive, massive game changer. I'm not doing radio anymore. <laughs> I was thinking about doing radio, but no. Yeah, so you don't pick your music. You know, back in those days, there weren't things like Spotify or um, streaming services available. So what you'll find now is that the songs that are streamed the most, the songs that get most attention on YouTube, whatever it is that's going viral, that is the, the songs that end up on your on your radio. Even things like when I walked into Kiss around Michael Dapper days, um, and they were like, you know, I was like, why are you like not playing? Gone, man. No, no, not like he's gone, but like, man's not hot type of flex. Yeah, I was like, yo, you guys need to put Man's Not Hot on. Like, everyone's going nuts for it. And then two weeks later, what do you know? It's on my show. And they were like, yeah, this up and coming rapper. And I was like, Whoa. guys, it's... you know them ones, you just take your music and go. Like, I was like, let me not even spoil it for you guys. So I think the people at the top don't always rock with the music that they're playing. Um, and that's another thing about culture and who dictates it. But yeah, I think the flavor is different. I think um, all radios, you have set lists of different music that is popping at the moment. And because we don't always get to choose, I think we do lose that sort of friction. 
Mm. With with what you just said about dictating the culture and certain people in positions not necessarily vibing with the music, and I mean it's interesting to see who ends up being the kind of forefront on the forefront or the spokespersons for genres that are typically Black British. So like, not shots, no shots, obviously, but like when you think about um, hip hop, Tim Westwood for years and years was like the guy. Do you know what I mean for hip hop in the UK? Um, with Charlie Sloth with like kind of well rapping grime or whatever he was the face Logan Sama for, yeah, yeah. as far as grime goes so like is it a, like I don't know to be is it a coincidence to... that these are the guys that end up being the kind of prominent figures mm. in these genres or is it because maybe they're a more kind of palatable face to bring or introduce music from a subculture that is seen as quite scary and intimidating to an audience that a mainstream audience, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think? <laughs> what do I? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I, always, I was going to say, I'm always amazed that the son of a bishop, i.e. Tim Westwood, his dad was like the bishop of Lower Soft, which is somewhere in Norfolk, can be a guy to... <laughs> he really does, you know. So if anyone... For those of you that this is like your first introduction to Tom, Tom's like a weird encyclopedia of like very, very particular knowledge. And sometimes they're like, because he'll just be sitting there having a pint, talking about West Ham, and then suddenly just switch, and I'm like, I need to write that down. <laughs> no, but I just find it mad how someone like him can be the face of like hip hop and grime. Um, people, there's some people I understand, like a Slimzy or Heidi Collins, because they were raised in the in like the three flats in Bow, where grime, because you know grime, well, rinse started on the three flats in Bow. If you pass over the flyover, you can't you can't miss those three flats. But I find it just weird how these particular characters in in general, is it because like people like the director generals at the BBC and stuff like that, they are more, they're more willing to give someone like a Westwood, like a shot or I, just, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Internal bias and racism aside, well, I guess like internal bias informs a lot of what people do. Um, one thing that someone, one of my friends told me when they was applying for a job was that a lot of the time when someone interviews you, um, the person that's interviewing you, if they don't see something of themselves in you, then they're less likely to want to take a chance on you. So, like, obviously, like, race is, like, the first thing that you're going to see, like, when you're talking to someone and, like, if you're being, like, brought onto something. Um, so, yeah, I guess that kind of explains it. But also, yeah, like, we're talking about making something that, you know, pirate radio, like, all those days, like, it's mad to think now, but, like, content was illegal. Like, yeah. I was saying this the other day, like... like This would have probably been illegal. That's yeah, weird. like, the fact that we're putting out our own content into the public sphere, like, 20 years ago, that was illegal. Like, pub, um, pri um, pirate radios were illegal. So, um, you're taking, like, a subculture. Like, it's not even really a culture yet. Like, it's a subculture. And, yeah. like, obviously, I don't think that way. But you're taking a subculture and trying to make it a lot more palatable. You need to have a face for it, you know? Like, mm. um, and it's funny how things have flipped around now because now you have, like... So Rihanna and Fenty Beauty, right? She, Why are we always talking about Rihanna? Why and do Fenty we always Beauty? talk about? Do we? It's mostly me that talks about Fenty. Uh, all the time, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's my Virgin sister, you know. So I have to talk about Rihanna, you know. Um, but um, yeah, like it's funny how it's flipped around now because Rihanna, she actually doesn't, she doesn't own Fenty Beauty, but she's the face of it. Um, she don't own it. No, she don't oh, own I'm it. Pissed, no, man. Does sorry. anyone know who owns it? I don't know. Does somebody, somebody? Oh, LVMH. 
Oh, is it LVMH? Really? So it's oh, owned by Mr. Arnel at yeah. Um, yeah. Raw. He's the, the French, French old, old French guy. That's I think he's the French. richest yeah. man in France. Um, what's his name? His first name? Something Arnel. Pogba. Arnel. Something Arnel. Not Richard. Richard, not Richard. No, Arnel. no. Something Arnel. He used Mr. to be Mr. Like Arnel my, my ultimate boss, you know? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to work for Celine. So he was like the guy, guy. Yeah, but I never saw him now. Mad, mad thing. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's just mad how like um, how the face of culture like kind of it's just kind of flipped now. Like mm. now it's kind of cool to be black, you know. Like it's cool to be you know, edgy. You know? Anyway, um, that's yeah. it. I, I, I th- sorry, I think as well they just want faces and names that live and breathe whatever that genre of music is. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. you want you know the worst thing you can do for someone on radio is put them in with songs that they don't mess with and they don't listen to. They got nothing to say about it because more time you're not really listening to radio unless you're listening to your favorite presenter or host. That's gonna give you something uh, to listen for. So I do a radio show with um, BBC Five Live with a guy called Dotton Adibayo. He's amazing. He's an absolute like ledge in the game. He's he's the furniture of radio really. And he's gave me this top advice for any creative, doesn't actually mean um, for radio, but he said, for any creative, you must be indispensable. You must give something to the company that if they were to get rid of you, it's a hassle for them to replace you. And so if you know that genre inside out, if you know your craft inside out, it's actually worse off for them to say, just because you are from whatever background doesn't actually need to be about race. It's just that I can't replace you to do your job because I'm not out here trying to babysit you. So as long as we as creators are indispensable in the field that we are to master, not trying to do everything at the same time, I think those names pop up and it is palatable, but it's also trustworthy. Um, so it ticks the box for the company, but it also ticks the box for the listener or whoever is your, your outlet. So, um, yeah, I think, because otherwise we just think, well, we never will get employed by people. And I want to ask from that, how do you think, um, one, how do you make yourself indispensable, Swazi? And two, how do you, or how can we as creatives make ourselves indispensable? What can we actually do and, and key steps or key keys that we can apply to make ourselves indispensable? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a part of culture as well, it's like bad mind to big up yourself, like mm. to kind of be proud of what you do. I'm very proud that my charisma is 10-10. Like, Come I, on, I, I can tell. I'm saying, I'm Every time saying, I look at you, I like, start smiling. I'm like, that's infectious. That's yeah, like, real. I, I don't know what happens. Like you, I've been hosting a very, very long time. Rarely do I get nervous. Rarely do I not know what to say to someone. My charisma is is my is my bag. Like you give me whatever, and I'll host it well for you, or I'll talk the ears of whatever that conversation is. But um, for creatives, it's about knowing what is that skill that you own and have. Um, and also being consistent. So a lot of creatives, I don't think flop because they're not creative. It's because you're not good at one thing over and over again. You're not known for that thing. Um, And so for me now, 2019 is going to be very interesting because I'm going to be known as doing the breakfast show on Saturday mornings. I I better be good at that. Like, that's pressure. That's really a lot of pressure because Ricky Melvin and Charlie, they've moved from Kiss, they've left, they've gone to Radio 1. So there's a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of eyes on Kiss at the moment. So yeah. I think, yeah, to your to your question, one, to be indispensable, do well at what you do well, um, and also do that consistently so you're known for it. Done, no. Wow. And on, on, on that note, I feel like we should bring up our second guest. Yeah, let's do it, man. She's I'm ready. got so much to offer. Give a huge round of applause for Shanice Miz. <laughs> what up, Shanice? Someone we haven't quite mastered the, um, the Jonathan Ross like greet thing. No, you know, they get you know that like no, we're hey. working on that. We're working on that, man. Do the, yeah. Try it. Oh, double cheek kiss and all of that. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Someone share a mic with Shanice. I'm going to apologise in advance because I've got, um, my voice is going. Yeah, so. But as long as you like, can hear me though, innit? So that's yeah, all right. we can yeah. hear you, man. That's all right. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You lot are OGs in this game. Shout out. Oh, thank you so much. Thank now, Shanice, you, like me and Shanice actually go like back to another podcast, you know, <laughs> that's even how I know Shanice. And this podcast that we were on, um, it's called Dish, so I'm going to plug them. When we, when I met these guys, I didn't know anyone, right? And now we're in this group chat and I feel like it's the most elite group chat I've ever <laughs> been in. Like every week someone's doing a madness. And I remember the week when I was in Birmingham in the back of a cab, back of an Uber, just driving around. And I see Shanice's face on this massive billboard <laughs> next to me. And I was like, nah, man, I need to get out of this group chat. I don't know why I'm here. Like, what, what do you put me in here for? Um, but Shanice's like a big, big dog in the game. So Shanice, tell us a little okay. bit about you and what you do. Um, yes, oh, my name's Shanice. I'm originally from Birmingham. I moved to London about three years ago. Um, so I moved on like an internship. I moved to like, a, I work in advertising. And I went to a big global agency and when I was there, I kind of was like, you know, finding my feet and stuff, but then realised actually it's not for me. But when I was leaving, the CEO offered me a proposition to start a new agency together. So we left together and we started a new agency. So I've got an agency called The Elephant Room and we're based in Borah and then um, at the ministry. Uh, I'm working with clients like Dyson, Converse. We just won a big pitch on the, in December. I can't name it yet, but it's We're going to see it coming soon, um, though. And, and yeah, and uh, alongside that, I'm also the brand and talent manager for an underground music and entertainment magazine called Guap, um, um, founded by my brothers, Ibrahim and Jide. They're like two guys I missed as soon as I moved to London. And then they were literally kind of like, you know, you know, sort of that culture thing was talking about, you know, they were like, now nah, we need to change this, we need to shift this, what we're going to do. But then when I came um, to London, they didn't have a team. So I basically came in and I built out the team. So that's what I do. So I recruit all our writers, editors, photographers, stylists, um, videographers, all of that. And I manage all of that and then all our collaborations. So it's kind of cool because like being able to do both things, I might be obviously flex between the two. And I'm also part of an organisation called Girls Talk London. And again, three years ago, I started an event series called The Girls Let's Talk. And it's all about um, just talking about things that we, you know, have an impact on us. Recently, the one was the last one was Black History Month called, and it was on the impact of Jewish and generational wealth. Shout out Bilal, he was on that panel because sometimes it's girls. Let's talk with the mandem, so we bring the girl, the guys down. Yeah, everyone's like, why was he on a girls and let's yeah, talk? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's girls. <laughs> you don't even think you're like, yeah, it makes sense, you know. Nah, sometimes it's with the mandem because, like, you know, like. Again, Ibrahim and Judy actually, they were like, no, 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 you need to bring us in. Like, what's going on? Like, how come you're always having these conversations? I was like, all right, cool. So, yeah, that was amazing. And, um, yeah, that's all about just, again, encouraging conversation about taboo subjects and meeting like-minded people, building networks and all of that. And then I've recently started a thing called The Guest List, which is an email network chain, which is like 300 people and counting now. Been going about three months. And that's all about building opportunities, being able to collaborate, getting people to... Um, access elitism at, well, as much as I can say because I know quite a few people in different organisations but I encourage different people who are at say their A game to say oh if you can mentor or if they want access to um, different spaces or events or anything so just get shared in there and that's kind of building and I'll be like you've recently joined it so yeah shout out that's me yeah. wow <laughs> these CVs man these CVs so I feel like we've got some 
some very, very talented guests with us today. I just, just want to know, when blessed. do you sleep? Like, what? <laughs> you know what? It's mad, yeah. I do sleep. And I'm just <laughs> at the front. I've actually got a sleeping disorder, so I sleep too much. Oh, oh. But so oh, I, have wow. to, like, I have to, like, schedule naps in the day. Um, but, yeah. I, I guess when you work for yourself, you can do that, though, right? Uh, well, people think so. But yeah, it still has to get discussed with the team. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Cool, cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. No, man, I wasn't. I was just, you know, I was just in awe of that CV. Um, so you mentioned a few things that you do, and I'd love to know why. Why are those things so important to you? You know what? I just think that, like, again, moving from Birmingham. So anyone, everyone knows Birmingham, yeah, but it's so dry. Like when it comes to, when it comes to like creativity and like actually trying to access massive opportunities because obviously London's very excited, capital, HQs are here, all of that. But when it comes to the underground, like in terms of culture and, you know, when it comes to actually like collaborating community and all that, it's like it's lit. So I just kind of felt like me moving from London to Birmingham, no, sorry, from Birmingham to London, it was really important for me to find my home Mm. but then not lose myself and then amongst all of that whilst I was again building my career I've seen all these things we talk about institutionalized racism it was you know like a lack of women in sort of certain roles and all of that and I thought even ageism like you know I get I get told like excuse me how old are you like bloody hell not every day man like do you know what I mean and it's just like um I just felt like nah you know what in order to implement change it has to start now and if you can look back and you can say, you know, I wish this was this way or I wish that was that way. Or you can be like, you know, I'm just going to try this thing. And if it works, it works. But at least I can't say I never tried. And I think for me, it's more about being able to just offer something and just be that superhero for somebody else that needs it. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I feel like the littlest of things can help. And I just think back in the day, if I had the help that mm-hmm. I can offer now to someone who say 16, 17, 18, boy, I would have been flying. But I just didn't. So I had to find the roots and navigate my way through certain ways and do all of that. Whereas young people now, they, they can access people like ourselves and we can then hopefully make it a little bit easier for them on the go and let them know what's good. Do you know mm. what I mean? That's it. I had um, a question just with you being from Birmingham, it just kind of stuck out. Like when we talk about, not because the accent, I'm just saying, just generally like, it obviously stands out on the panel. Everyone's is quite a London centric. Um, and sometimes even the show is a bit, you know, feels a bit too London centric. But like with dictating the culture, some may argue that London, as far as the UK is based, black British culture, maybe London is like the epicenter of that. How do you feel like being from Brom? Um, do you feel like it's important for that kind of, do you think there's a distinction between Brom culture and London culture? And do you feel like that voice needs to be heard more? So I definitely think that, like, when it comes to outer cities of London, like Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham and stuff, we are, like, shunned a bit, like, you know what I mean? But I do think that as our culture is quite similar when it comes, if we're talking about music, fashion, like, grime, like, I know the story about the free flag, do you know what I mean? Like, we heard it, Channel U, we, we had all of that um, fashion as well, that, you know, that, that trickles down to us and all of them kind of things film but essentially kind of like you know you talk about that American narrative for us it was like yeah America but then also it was London too so we would hear about things going on in London or if people on TV were British they were from London so it was like we would always have to oh London's where it's at man like that's that's like that's the goal even back home like 
oh, where do you want to be? I bet you want to go to London. Like, is there's like this stigma about like, you know, that's where it is and that's what people do. But it's really funny because as, uh, I've got a friend and he's an A&R and he was saying, um, he was like, he's like, obviously it's lit that you moved and that, but you should have stayed in Birmingham, man, because you need to stay there to build it and there, there. And I was like, nah, but it's not happening. But he was giving an example of like, uh, I think he was Fetty Wap or someone. I don't know where he's from, but he's into music, all of that. Anyway, he's basically saying that Fetty Wap and that they stayed in their state and they built up the scene. Like, it used to be like LA or something, but now it's like Atlanta or something like that. And he was like, you gave an example. You like, oh no, missed in it from Birmingham. You like, no, lot old boys. Yeah. Anyway, they haven't moved. They've just, they just come back and forth, Lady Leisha, well, she's moved now. But he's just like, yeah, but you see what's happening though. People are looking at, people are making it and they're seeing where that city is. So now a lot of people are going to Birmingham Artists. There's a lot of people who are, say, bring up, that's just music specifically. So I do think now we're in this change where people are now, like even Leeds, I think Channel 4's moved or something, so the head office or something like that. So I feel like people are now realising that, whoa, like talent is everywhere and it's not just in London, but growing up and stuff yeah I would say that when it came to like black British culture especially London definitely dictated that but now I think that people are realizing more when it comes to genres fashion all of that people are coming from all over look at that um, that panda beat designer menace he was from Manchester do you know what I mean so it's like all these popular things and people are grasping onto them so we've got this idea and it's coming starting to come out that like perhaps culture isn't just from like the epicenter of London right maybe culture comes from from us and we can be wherever we are and geographically wherever we are and still dictate culture. But we haven't really talked about like the, this idea of being a creative and and I want to get onto that now like with everyone because when I, I was one of the people back in the day that used to be like, what the hell is a creative man? Like I'm a creative person, sure, but like, like what does that it was mean? literally two months ago, so <laughs> don't talk about it, it was back and in the day. And now I'm here. Um, <laughs> But I used to, used to, two months ago, the old me used to be like, what the hell is a creative, right? Because I'm a creative human being. I can, I can kind of draw. I can pretend to sing. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, I've got creative outlets. But then there's a difference between like being creative and then being a creative, right? And I used to get annoyed, generally annoyed with people that like would introduce themselves to me as, hi, I'm a creative. I was like, and what do you really do? You know, so I'd love to hear from everyone, like, what, what does it mean to be a creative? guests anyone like um so yeah I was I was kind of like you to be fair like I mean I was so before I moved to uh, London I was a dancer so like, since I was like seven and um I was in the arts so for me that was a very different being a creative was a very different thing in that in that space and in that world and then I and then I moved to London and I heard about all these entrepreneurs with the magazines and doing these different things but they're cast themselves as creatives and business creatives and for me it's more so about like how do you tap into that idea of yourself and then express it? So that's how I that's how I see it now. Because for me, I cast myself as a creative, but I can't draw. Listen, I can just about edit. I can't do nothing, but I can spot a creative. I can I know what's good, like what's good content. Like I know, like I just I feel like I understand the creative world in a way that is creative. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like that allows me. To, to have that entitlement to say, oh yeah. yeah, I'm a creative. Because recently Guap put out, I don't know if anyone saw this, maybe you even saw this, Guap put out a like list of the 30... The blacklist, shout out. Yeah, like the 30 people in the creative industries yeah, that yeah, you should yeah. know. And what when you guys were coming up with this, what did you list as like the industries that counted? 
Or was there a list? No, I, literally, that was me. I literally had like an epiphany. I messaged Ibrahim. I was like, nah, you know what? Black History Month, we're highlighting everyone. I don't want to see like just music or I want to see lawyers, scientists. We need to go and find them. Like we need to actively make it. So at first we were actually going to do 100 people. But then our time was, it was mad. So we couldn't. So we had to get the 30. But then we also put it to the team. And um, we were like, guys, like, who do you think's doing this? And we wanted it to be quite impactful. So we put it on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. We, we wanted to hear from everyone, like, who are these people? What's going on? Like, who do we need to see? And not necessarily popular people, but people who are doing something again, like, creatively, like, being themselves and unapologetically just killing the game in whatever sector they're in. Yeah, I'd say creativity is, well, being a creative is much more, whatever you do, you have your right to be yourself and express yeah. yourself and however exactly. you want to do it, do you know what I mean? Because actually somebody said to me, <laughs> something which was kind of weird, which I didn't understand, but somebody said to me, do you know what the most creative job is in the world? I said, what? They said an accountant. I said, what has that got to do with anything? I'm and they said, no, right no, now, but wait. Man. They said, wait, you think about it, yeah? The amount of times companies have done fraud and <laughs> the way someone's had to use maths to actually report and get a company to go through do you know what I'm saying? You have to be creative to get away with some stuff and justify something to be like, yo, this is this line item, this is that line item, which I find very mad. And I'm not saying an accountant isn't creative at all, but I'm saying they use a form of creativity. And you, no matter what job you may have, so long as you can use and you can be yourself, because a lot of the times on a lot of jobs, you can't be yourself. You have to be a very kind of rigid person or whatever. But if you can be yourself and you can use your form of your creative solutions to deal with certain problems, mm. then in an essence, you can argue that, yeah, you are creative. So I think anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Swazi, would you say that you're a creative, like being a radio host? Yeah, I think the, the best kind of analogy I can probably give is I went out to um, do something political one time and we happened to stop by this ice cream sort of parlor, right? And bruh, they had flavors in there that I didn't even know about. I was like, yo, I want this, 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 and this, and this, and whatever. And, and it was just kind of like, yeah, I didn't have all of that, actually. I'm trying to do dairy-free and all of that stuff. But anyway, um, it, I just think it goes back to school. If you're not presented with the options, you won't know what to choose. You won't even know what to ask for. Um, and so at school, I didn't study radio. Radio wasn't even on the syllabus. It wasn't even a, a thought. I didn't even know hosting could be a job. Um, and so what happens is, I think, when we talk about creative, is are we just talking about when we do something that's different to the conventional way of doing something? So when it's about accountancy, I think, yeah, there's creativity. There's creativity in anything, but he just or she hasn't <laughs> followed the set pattern and rule and done it another way. That makes someone think, oh, that was different. Oh, that was creative. Because we're always doing the same thing with the same framework. We're just getting different outcomes. And so I wonder then, well, are we not all in the... It sounds like cliche, doesn't it, to say that we're all creative. But I think the minute a creative owns that sort of yeah, I'm good at that and I'm going to work and hope. That's what I'm saying about being indispensable. If you can do that well mm. and people go to you for that, I think that's mm. what gives the creative that sort of puff chest to think, oh, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm dope at that. Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> that was beautiful, yeah, man. That was Because I was thinking today, like, we're going to do this whole podcast about being a creative and, like, coaching that and we're not going to get to any definitions of what I really think are, but you've actually, that's a really good definition of what a creative is. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, like, the whole sort of, owning it thing and like it being you know your sort of like the feather in your hat or whatever like that 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 makes a lot of sense to me i don't know about everybody else but, does a yeah. does a creative then 
does a creative have to be counter-culture? Like, counter-mainstream culture? Say that again. Does a creative have to be... Have to be, like, counter the culture? Because as you said, basically what you're talking about is, like, someone who makes their own path when there is no path afforded to you, right? And is going to find something and make it for themselves. That's an aspect of a creative person's personality trait. So, inherently, then, is a creative someone who's then going to be counter whatever the culture is? Mm, I'd, I'd say no. Like, I don't think necessarily so. So, I think what makes a creative a creative, and just given all the definitions that have been said, like, I think it can be even broader. I do actually have the feeling that we're all creatives and not in the sense that we can all draw or paint or whatever, but, like, being able to express something that's internal and bring it out and have that manifested in some type of form. And I think what makes, like, a, an artist, an art, so maybe the distinction between maybe, like, an artist and a creative is then using raw materials or, like, using something external to you to manifest something that <laughs> exists internally. Um, and I think we all have the ability to do that, whether it's like even the way we speak or write or the way we dress or whatever the case is, we're trying to express something. Um, as far as whether you need to be subculture, I think that is when you're creative as an identity, um, that's like, and so as you were saying, when you've like taken ownership of that um, position in, in, in life saying, yeah, this is what I do. But um, it doesn't necessarily have to be against the grain. Like, you can have mainstream creatives. Like, you can... People that paint, I don't know, a, a landscape portrait or whatever or take photos of, like... Do you know what I mean? It's standard stuff, but, like, it's still them expressing something that they want to put out in the world. So, no, I don't think... I think maybe what you was getting at, Bilal, um, is... Because we're talking about dictating the culture, right? Maybe to be able to dictate the culture, you kind of have to... You have to go against the grain. You have to do something different. You have to be a bit of a trailblazer. You have to, you know, not do what everybody else is doing. Um, but yeah, let's speak to the. Yeah, the for two sure. I think I think being a creative, to be honest, to me, is just the ability to think differently in any capacity. Like, like Picasso's got a quote saying that the truth is everybody's born an artist. The hardest thing is remaining the artist whilst the child grows when, when the child grows up. And I think that's the thing. Like we get we we then. We born and you children, yeah. I teach children. I also teach dance on the side, but yeah. And um, <laughs> they're hustles. Like. How many things do you do? Like, how long's your week, man? Like, you got different. Oh, oh yeah, but um, and they're just fearless. They say anything. They ask me everything. But then one of them was like, "Miss, are you from America? Because your accent's not London." And I'm like, "Bloody hell! What are you watching at home? Like, you know this at Disney Channel, isn't it?" But then it's like. At the same time, like, they're so themselves. And it's once they get into this routine of society and conforming to what we think things should be, when you start to lose that creativity or feel like they can't tap into it anymore, or that's, that's, what, that's what happens to us. And I feel like those people dictating the culture are the people who are either decided to go against the grain or decided to tap back into that, not say childhood, but that again that ability to think differently or to be like question things and do you know what I mean like I think that those are those are the people that are really sort of pushing the culture forward and who are not say conforming or um saying like you know it's going to be this way because this is how it's been for the x amount of years but actually they just want to do things differently do you know this, what I mean this reminds me of a weird it's a weird weird thing but I remember there was this um advert that Nike did years ago with Eric Cantona showing a video of Ronaldinho when he was a kid. Oh, and the thing was, never grow up. 
and the way he used to, they showed a video of him playing football as a kid. And, you know, like, as I was growing up, I didn't, it's hard for me to watch football now because when I, I you know, I grew up watching Zidane, Ronaldinho, R9, Ronaldo. The way they played football was creative. Do you know what I mean? It's just the way they, like, they just made the ball just do magic. I thought there was, a, there was actually a clip of David Ginola on Sky Sports and he almost went into tears because he was like, the gift I had was from God. And it's almost like being a creative was almost like that. Like, you just have a gift. And that gift doesn't necessarily have to be what sometimes we define as, like, the creative arts. It can be anything. People have gifts in different ways. Like, I don't know why we get these gifts, but people have got gifts. Some people are great with the pen. Some people are, and that could be either writing or poetry or even speech writing or whatever. Or some people are great orators. They're wonderful when they speak. You're like, how do you speak so well? And how do you hold a conversation? How do you hold a room so well? Some people are wonderful with instruments or whatever. Some people are even wonderful at making art out of maths. I remember in school learning about something called Fourier transformations, which is where you can use this, this sign function and you can make a shape out of anything. Just understanding how maths works with nature. And it's just, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's using, I think being a creative in this essence anyway, <laughs> is using a gift which is naturally working for you. Because sometimes I see when people, and this is why I have a problem with parents that say, ah, oh, son, daughter, you must do this, you must do that. And yet it's completely against the grain of what the kid is actually good at. Because mm. as children, you can see, you know, like, like one of my uncles, he, he, he just gave birth to a baby girl and she's only a couple of months old, but she has a personality already. And that's the craziest thing that as I'm getting older, I realize that babies just have a personality from whenever. So they have a personality already. They will somehow have a gift in. And it's just, I think creativity in its essence is just using that natural talent, gift, mm. ability, and just running with whatever you have. That's what I think anyway, but yeah, boy. So that's so interesting. So we've, we've got about 10 minutes left before we throw it to you guys to ask some questions, right? And I guess for me, what I really want to get into is this idea of creatives creating culture and whether or not we do, whether or not through be, be, running your own creative media advertising agency or whether or not through being a radio host, whether or not just by us existing as people who probably don't work directly in those fields, but maybe we're still creative people anyway, whether or not we are part of creating that culture. Because when I was much younger, I used to come home from school, sit there with my fish fingers and macaroni cheese in this one little bowl and like watch Art Attack. And like to me, that was, that was like, that was creative. I was like, I'm gonna, it's time for a big art attack. And that like weird statue head would do that thing. And then it was big art attack. And I was like, that's mad creative. And I'd like go out into my garden on the Saturday and try and create a massive art attack. And for me, that was what creativity was. But that, I wasn't really creating culture. I was just copying what I saw on TV. For us, sitting here, do we think that creatives like, create the culture? You can talk. Oh, no, no, no. Because oh, oh, oh. um, I knew I was coming on with you guys and you guys are all bare smart. Uh, I did small, small Google research in it and kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did your homework, yeah? yeah did your homework, fam. I like, there's no way I'm going to look silly. What did so, Wikipedia say? Uh, Wikipedia, it wasn't wiki. It was just, you know, when you Google something, it comes up in that little box and then that's, that's like what you copy and paste. Trust me, trust me. Um, and two words came up when I Googled culture. The first word was personality. And the second word was behavior. Um, and so I just put the two together. I'm not a scientist here, but I just thought, could we not define culture as it could be described as the personality and behavior of a shared group of people of a particular era? 
Um, and so when it broke down personality, it broke it down into like, um, you know, upbringing or uh, beliefs or attitudes, all those things that make up a human's personality. Um, and then those things inform how you behave, how you spend money, how you greet people, how you consume content, listen to music, all of those things. Um, and when the common denominator is done by a shared group of people, that's when we get majority culture, right? Because the majority are doing the same thing. Wow. <laughs> it's Google, it's small, small, anyone can do it, anyone can do it. Um, but then I thought, what about those people? Because underpinning those people is context, is social, economic and political factors. Um, and so when we talk about culture, I think, yeah, the culture that my mum had and dad had growing up in 60s, 70s, 80s, it's going to be different <laughs> to 19, whatever, when I grew up and so forth. So I think when we dictate culture, we um, just have to be very aware of those things. What are those things that inform our context? And when the context changes, the variables changes, eventually the culture will change. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just thought, as because I just think, I don't want, I was very dissatisfied thinking coming, is it just drip? Is it just sauce? Is it just, do you know what I mean? Like if we go away thinking, oh, that's what culture is. Have we limited ourselves? Yeah. Because otherwise, you just think as an academic, you can't be creative. As a creative, you can't be academic. Mm. That's not true. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, man, that was a sick, sick explanation. No, bro, you man. did it. You do you my homework next no, time. No, no. Yeah, I'll actually do my homework. I never did my homework when I was little, to be fair. But, bro, that was... No, I think um, I agree with all of pretty much all of that. Um, and I think what you said about um, academia as well is really important because... We need to have academics that are actually dictating the culture as well. Um, we need to have people that are occupying that space. And it's a funny thing because, like, we've obviously we've all been in like this highly academic institution. It's like you know, world renowned, whatever, blah blah blah. And a lot of the time, I think, again, like, was it should I have should I have gone there because like I feel like my I I think I like to think of myself as quite a creative person, like innately. But I feel like my kind of path down academia has stifled that a little bit. Um, but what you said just now was very poignant because I feel like there is definitely scope for academia and creativity to, to genuinely be. And maybe this isn't, you know, this isn't revolutionary what I'm saying, but it's just occurred to me now. Um, but yeah, um, I think that academia, academics, like especially when it comes to like, Historians, I think, are one of the most important people when it comes to um, um, chronicling culture. Like, we talk about a specific era. Um, his history is always told by the victor. Like everybody knows that older Dutch. Like, history is always told by the, the dominant culture, the dominant, um, the, the, the group of people that have power, that have hegemony. So, as culture shifts and as things are changing, especially now that we have so much more representation, I'm speaking as a black Brit, we need to also have academics, historians, and, you know, other people that, you know, talk about these things and put these things into the history books so that we don't forget this stuff. Mm -hmm. So that this stuff, because that's the easiest way for erasure to take place. And that's why, like, for example, like there's so much black British history that we don't know because we didn't learn it in school. Like I only learned about the, uh, the Bristol uh, bus um, boycott like three or four years ago. And that is our civil rights movement. That is literally the British, the black British civil rights movement. And we don't, put up your hand if you actually know what that is in here. I mean, you like, just told this me. is mad. So, so this is why, like, this is why, like, I'm not here to get on to Americans, but this is why Americans can talk, 
they can they can go on Twitter and talk whack about you know you lot didn't have a civil rights movement like oh yeah well we didn't actually but no we genuinely did so yeah, yeah history like history but also academia like it's so important in in maintaining and and and, and think, chronicling the culture. I think for, sorry just to touch on that just like quick. Yeah. I think one of the best TED Talks I've ever watched, and it's like one of the most watched ones of all time, that Sir Ken Robinson one, right? Like many of you have probably seen it. Like, do schools kill creativity? Yeah. And yeah, the whole yeah, thing that. is about like how when we're little, we're able to have like divergent thinking, like all of us think like in this mad way where we're thinking like way out of the box. And then as we go through school, we're able to do that less and less and less. This idea of like, you know, school itself and the education system itself is limiting us as creatives. But... But I just think as well, though, like, you think, like, back in the day, um, it's, like, it's also kind of the thing about access and how things have sort of evolved over time. And it, so, for example, like, I know you said that thing about, you know, taking people writing the books now and stuff like that, but I kind of feel like that's us. Like, mm-hmm. them, I, could, like I don't feel like academia people um, should be cut out of the picture or, or should be in the picture, whatever. But I feel like for people like yourselves, it's really important that Over the Bridge podcast exist for the new the 16 year old that hasn't had wants to go to Cambridge and has an idea of what Cambridge is but he, he's got no research but actually you guys live online so he can listen back to you lots of experiences and then he can be like oh my gosh but t- like obviously we're not that old but that will go down in history like eventually like back in the day like you'll be like I'm like when I was growing up the people that were going you know what I mean like to have kids 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 and I think that it's important that from now we start to document the things that we're doing and the things that we're like, like it's right. You're right about uh, the, the Bristol boycott. Like just the other day, I learned about Neil Kenlock, who's the founder of Choice FM, which is now Capital. But he was like the official photographer the, for the Black Panthers, one of the first guys to photograph Bob Marley when he came to London, and all of his stuff. He's still got his, his, he's got everything. His, his daughter's his manager and everything. They want to do a HBO program. I'm thinking, why am I learning about this now? But it's just, it was just the access. He was like, he didn't have social media to promote himself. Mm. Or it was only who he knew. So if you knew, and it was like word, like, you know, word of mouth. But I feel like right now we've got this thing where we have to have those people, again, who are thinking differently and putting out content or whatever it is and spreading that message differently as well. Because I feel like it's, it's one of them ones where... It's also about numbers too, like the US, yeah, it's a big place, it's a continent, do you know what I mean? Like America's kind like Britain, like we're still we're still the minority of what what's going on and who we are. So I feel like it's important for us to shout as much as we can about one our history, but also what we're doing now in order to dictate the culture and continue. Because you've got pinnacles as well, like you've got people who when you think about music moguls, everyone thinks Jay-Z in it. Or P Diddy, or like you've got those people. When you, when I think about fashion, like back in the day, who who was going against the grain, it was like Dapper Dan and stuff like that. But then it's like when you think about it now, you gotta think, oh, who's that? Like, you know, you put out them tweets, like what's going on now? But it's like for the people growing up, they probably even know more than we do. Like people on the ground, like who's a fourteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old that are doing beats? Because that's what's happening now as well. So I think. It's, I think we're all kind of dictating the culture one way or the other. Um, but it's just about bringing that together mm. and making sure that it's continuous. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like my nephew, he's 16. He lives in Birmingham and he's a producer. He fills me in on everything that's going on in music in Birmingham. Otherwise, I wouldn't know. So I would I would argue that him and his group of friends are 
dictating that culture. They're in the studio. They're putting out tracks. They're people are speaking their lyrics. is on Spotify. I'm like, rah. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm. And I'm out the loop of that. So when I'm saying to him, oh, don't you listen to Daniel Caesar? He's like, use that. And I'm thinking that. He's, I'm like, he's lit. Like, I'm like in shock thinking, rah. But I'm thinking, this is what's going on. Like, that's how far apart we are. Like, Daniel mm. Caesar's kind of new to the game, really. But again, because just because of that difference in age and yeah. popularity and stuff, yeah. even in location, yeah. it's, it's all different. Do you know what I mean? And I think culture is constantly evolving and changing, right? Like mm-hmm. the fact that someone who's 16 doesn't have a reference that you do yeah. says a lot about like, how quickly culture. He doesn't even rate two pack, imagine. Mad. That's, wow. that's interesting though, because it's like, it feels, it feels like yeah, there's more of a gen- <laughs> with the generational gap. And as we said, it's not necessarily a big gap. It could be difference of like five years. Mm. There's people now, like, you start like 14, 15, that only listen to UK music. This is what I love, though. I think this is great. So, like, there's literally... So, whereas we would have had a mixture of, like, American and... UK stuff, they literally only listen to UK music. They don't even rate Americans. No, but I was literally about to say this, but I'm not one of those people because, like, I grew up in the era where, you know, American culture was still, like, the thing, right? Like, obviously, I like (laughs) my grime and my garage and whatever, but... I love the fact that like young people now, like like top of the list of things that they're listening to is music from where they are from. Like, mm-hmm. and it's not even like, okay, like I like a couple of artists, but then I like bare American music. Like American music comes like way down the list. And like, mm-hmm. I don't, I, people are going to think I have something against America. I don't, <laughs> I don't in theory, but. <laughs> Stop doing this, man. <laughs> but I love, I love the fact that we are really being about like our own culture now. Mm-hmm. One of the things, this is another thing that I do. I talk about Brazil a lot and I haven't done it up until this point, but I'm going to do it now. When, when I was in Brazil, shout out my Brazilian friend, by the way, Vitória the front. Um, one of the things I realized out there is that they listen to like foreign music. They listen to international music, but Brazilian music, there are so many different genres of Brazilian music that like, like okay, they'll know Rihanna, they'll know Beyonce, um, and then maybe a couple others like Adele and that, but like Brazilian music is like what they are into. Like, and there's so many different genres that like you, it, it'll be years before you get bored of it. And then you need to start listening to something else. So mm. I'm glad that we're kind of reaching that stage now. It's cool, man. Like yeah. big up black Brits, man. And I also think, sorry, I was going to say, I know like we reference music a lot, but I feel like as well, music is such, it's like, it's universal in it. And like, again, look, going back to like those pinnacles of people, you've got people like Rihanna, who is essentially a singer, but then like, look how she's killing the makeup game. And then you've got people like Jay-Z who are getting involved in like, you know, when he was back in Obama and stuff like that. And then you see people like cross, like you get to a certain point in their career or whatever it is. And then they get into other things that they care about, again, that can impact the culture. And they make this massive change based on, their ability is like, okay, this is what I've done and this is what I care about. I need mm. other people to spread this message or this is what I'm going to push out there. Because when Fenty Beauty came out, they make wise to saying, we had this from ages ago. We always had Fifty Shades, but when was you promoting that Fifty Shades? Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's almost like, it, it's, I suppose it's a little bit of a shame as well because sometimes it takes something to get popular to, for people to really realise that it's important or to really understand that, we, okay, we should be talking about this which is, again, it's unfortunate, but at least it's now popular and people are talking about it more. So now people can say more things about it and get more involved in the conversation. Look, look, look at the vote even. like We've seen that when it was a tie, do you know what I mean? With young people and all the things like that. And I just think that when things like that happen, like big things for the whole, that the whole world, that's when it becomes like, again, 
an impact of culture. Mm. It's probably more of like just an observation, but one thing that stood out for me is like when we were growing up, I know from my experience, when we talked about identity as far <laughs> as like where we come from, we often kind of talk about or we say we're from wherever our parents are from. So I'll say I'm from Ghana, you know, you say from Jamaica, wherever the case is. Whereas a couple of generations on the line, if we all stay here and we kind of kind of mix with different demographics, there's going to be a new idea of what being black and British is. And they're not necessarily going to have that same, you know, go through the whole list and say, I'm, I'm eighth this or a quarter this. They're just going to say, <laughs> I'm British, man, just, or whatever the case is. And I wonder, like, having that tight identity, but is, that, is that a clear distinction from now? Because I do feel there's a lot of shared experience, even though we do talk about being experiences from home and what have you. Mm. But, like, when there's literally just kind of like the British equivalent of being African-American, right? Where it's just, that's just what it is. Do you, how do you think that's going to impact how we identify and just culture, how we how we um, navigate culture? Um, wow, that's a mad question, actually. But it's I, a dissertation I, title. Yeah, that's what a mad question. I think, I think what we have now is this thing where we realise that we're maybe, what, one, two, three, we lucky be lucky to see some of those four generations whose parents are um, in Africa or the Caribbean. You're lucky if you see three or four. Most of the time, I know it's one or two. Mm. Um, so if we go like four generations ahead, then our children's 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 children are very, very, very removed. And I would hope in that time, <laughs> in four generations, um, not about the landscape changing per se, because we can all have those hopes, but that's a different question. But in the sense that you'd hope that more spaces are occupied and so you can actually develop, it's hard to say, like, ecosystem as such, but it's like one of the things I have not gripes with, but often people who are very good at being creatives, they often lack business acumen, if that makes sense. They have a great idea, but they don't know how to get it financed or financed in a way that won't kill them. <laughs> but people who are great at finance know nothing about being able to help someone who, or who they could help out um, as a creative. And you'd hope that maybe in three, four generations time, you have one, or both both people facilitating each other mm -hmm. and creating your own thing. Maybe like this kind of Black Wall Street in London or something, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that is where you get to because I know in the States, for example, um, African-Americans, especially those who like go to college, they pride themselves on certain fraternities. And that's how they... A lot, not all of them, but that's how a lot of them get jobs. Like, oh, you're a Kappa, you're an Alpha, you're a this and this and this. And I'm not saying that's going to be the blueprint as to how things work. But I know for a fact, like, I've got like, African-American colleagues who I talk to regularly, and they talk about, yeah, I know this kid, he's a Kappa or she's an Alpha, whatever it is, and they help each other out. And I think, I'm not saying I think it will be like that, but I think it will just be the kind of common den denominator that, oh, yeah, you are black and... Your parents have been here and parents, parents, parents have been here for so long. And somewhere along the line, you had some kind of shared experience, but your world mm. is very different, if that makes any sense. Mm. And that you're coming up together that way. But the one thing I would like to see is that, one, we occupy a lot more spaces, and that's just not creative, but also the corporate field. Um, entertainment's not saying it can be covered better, but that's already covered. So I won't even go into that one, because that one, I think, has been occupied for a long time. But I think all kind of spaces are occupied and I hopefully like the lines are blurred a lot more. So mm -hmm. instead of instead of seeing like 
and Eddie Hearn represents someone like an AJ, why don't we have like a black Eddie Hearn actually represent an AJ and maybe not run AJ over? Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Or, oh, Anthony, Anthony Joshua, Joshua, the boxer. Yeah. You know, Eddie Hearn is the... There was some smiles in the room when you said AJ anyway. So. But yeah, everyone knows AJ, innit? That's what I mean. I just hope that the, the, the lines are, are crossed a lot more. Yeah. And that, um, yeah, we look after ourselves a lot more and, and don't necessarily have like that bucket um, bucket and a crab mentality. Because one thing I find that sometimes the older generation, because they've had things so tough, sometimes they don't want to help a young guy or young girl out sometimes, you know what I mean? I think we've all encountered that. No, I'm not helping you out because I had to help myself on the come up. So I'm not helping you. Is I'm that... staying in my position. Do you know what I mean? So hopefully because things, by the grace of God, in some way get, gets easier, I mean, easier for us, but, you know, we, we've had more time and whatever, that, yeah, we can actually help people more than you know, we've received help ourselves. That's what I think. Swazi, why don't you have the last word, yeah? And then we're going to throw it to questions. Ah, pressure. From our audience. Pressure. No, I was just going to say, I think that needs to be part of our culture or something that I would love to see us do more and more. The fact that we can just ask openly, um, I need help on this. Like when I um, started working at the radio, I didn't know a thing about being self-employed. Why would I? My school did not, I don't know if your schools taught you how to be self-employed. They didn't teach me. They didn't teach me how to put an invoice together. I didn't know how to put an invoice together. I didn't know you should make it a PDF and not a Word doc so they don't edit it. Like basic, basic, basic stuff. Um, but also I think if we were to share, something I like to call is creative currency. So where some jobs you may not get paid in physical cash, um, you get paid in another skill set. So if you went under the wing of someone, um, you'd you'd rack up that skill base so that I would learn um, another genre of work so that then my work would be, um, you know, informed by that. So I think in culture, you know, this big culture or this don't talk to me sort of clouty sort of, no, no, no. I, I would love to see in culture all of that just broken down. We don't help each other and we don't help ourselves when we act like that um so i think yeah when we're dictating the culture especially amongst creatives that would be a brilliant sort of um yeah trait to have to define 2019 culture in this now boy i've like learned so much already man because yeah. this is complex like when we wrote this title i was like okay but like i'm sitting here like wow this is a lot to take in and i'm sure many of you have been sitting there thinking the same like maybe there have been thoughts going on in your head and um before we throw it over to you just a round of applause for our guests please because they've been Amazing. And yeah, I want to, I might have to do this whole thing and walk around myself, but um, just throw your hand up. Has anyone got like a, a question? Whoa, okay. I'm going to come to Josh over here and then like we got two people over in the middle. So we'll come to you two in a second. Yeah. Um, thanks. Um, first of all, well done, everyone. That was a great discussion. Learned a lot. Typed a lot as well. If you heard me. Bro, you typed, I, yeah? I was typing. I was typing. Bro. I have to, yeah. Um, but yeah, just coming off the back of what you just said, Swazi, like off of um, clout culture. Uh, that has been a question in my mind, like through the whole time you were discussing it. And I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I've seen a lot of talk on social media. In, the, in fact, since about 2015, but it's um, heightened up a lot more now, where we're seeing a lot of people supporting the same faces, the same bait people, you know, the people who are going to get them into the motives, like the curtain, hotel motives, ace hotel motives, the shortage scene, you know, or, or, them, or them kind of people there. And yeah, I'm quite shady. I'm quite cynical. Sorry, guys. Come, <laughs> but, yeah, come with it, bro. Um, come with it. Come with it, man. Yeah, so I just wanted to ask you guys, what's your opinion on like the whole clout chasing culture and how detrimental or if you think it's positive, please do share your thoughts. Um, or, or, or otherwise, um, do you think it is for the industry and what can we do to like combat it and to make sure that we're all actually getting ahead? Uh, 
I prefer not to speak. If I speak, I'm in big, big trouble. So yeah, pass on to Tom. That's Marine, Mourinho impression. But yeah, Tom. Do you know what? Yeah, I don't. I said to the guys, I don't personally use social media. I have access to it like by OTBE or like Twitter and stuff, but I don't. Tom's a creeper. I'm not, like, man. I don't. I don't even have time. Do you know why? Because you're working too hard. Yeah, probably that. But it's it's um it's the fact that there is this there is this culture of uh social media is this weird echo chamber. Do you know what I mean? And if you don't actually get yourself from like in reality, you can actually just your head could just be doing playing games with you. Do you know what I mean? People began to the sunken place based on social media. People be bullying each other. People be saying, come outside. Oh, this is kind of ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? People not behaving normally because of common social media. Do you know what I mean? Some tool that, and other people are observing it and laughing at us. Do you know what I mean? Saying, look at this. This is a laughing stock. So I, I personally got off social media for my health and well-being. And it's the best decision I ever made. And I'll tell people, listen, if you want to meet me, come, let's go out for a tea or a drink or something, or let's go to the pub. And that's because my problem with social media, as great as it is, I think it's a wonderful thing, you lose the human touch of relationship more times, do you know what I mean? So if you want to meet someone, no, like, actually, you have to call me on the phone or message me, then you can message, but call me on the phone. Let's actually go and meet and let's actually engage in being human beings. We're humans. We need to interact, like, physically interact with each other, meet people and stuff. And I think because of this, you can have people who sit from a pretty highfalutin chair and make judgments about people from nowhere, but you'll never see them anywhere. Do you know what I'm saying? They'll be casting judgments from all over the gaff, but you know, you won't ever see them. You won't be able to confront them in person because they know what they're doing. And but you know, it's just the fact that you can get sucked into it pretty much. So for me, I I'm not saying avoid social media, but just bear in mind that the, the worlds are very different. The real world and social media are two very different worlds. So um, I do have something to say, actually, because at first, it's, it's a little bit of a sort of, yeah, a, like from personal experiences, it's left a bad taste in my mouth. But I do have something to say. I think it is good that um, you mentioned that, you know, like there are a lot of people that kind of, they have like a kind of circle and they sort of put their their peers and their friends on. And I do think that is good um, because like we were talking about collaboration and actually helping each other out. But where I think where it goes wrong is where you know, you, you you kind of hog all the seats at the table. Like the whole point of us, like if we're going to dictate the culture properly, we need to have diversity of, of opinion and, um, and perspectives. Um, and it shouldn't be, you know, this kind of self-congratulatory kind of round table all the time. So that's what I will say. I'm not going to go too much further into it because... I'll lose it. I'll lose One it. One from our guests and then we'll move on to the next question. The only thing I would say, you probably have more to say on this, I suppose, but <laughs> the one thing I would say is when you're going into TV meetings or you're going into radio meetings, I've got no problem with clout. My clout isn't even that tough, you know. But the people who get, put, who get booked with K's and M's next to the name, I beg you just be good at your job. Because what happens is people get booked because of their following and the company thing, if I book you and make you the face of whoever it is, I'm going to gain your following. Half time they're eggs. Yeah. Let's just keep it real. But second of all, the person isn't always good, but the person who only has 400 or 300 or one follower will get overlooked purely because of a numbers game. Do you know how sad that is? That I've lost out on a job because I didn't have as many followers as the next person they recruited. And when I saw that person, no shade, like, you're good, but I'm so much better. Like... <laughs> like no and, and that's not but to no say shade, no, no shade whatsoever but what I don't like
like is when people just say, oh, I see what you do. It's easy. Let me jump on. Yeah. It takes years to own a craft, you know. Like, I'm not trying to be a musician trying to do... Because I respect the craft that that takes in the years and time. But that's what I'm saying. Own what you do and own it well. And if that gains you 200 followers, then still, I beg you, just do it well. Because the person who books you will be so disappointed if you can't do your job. And there's been people who've lost jobs that I know because they don't they they present themselves one way on socials, they come into the room and it's like, well, perform now, because I expect you to perform and they don't know what to do. So yeah, to your point, it's a whole different ball game, you know. I, and people who have all of that, you think they're happy, they're not. I talk to them and they're really not. So I've got no problem with clout as long as you can get the job done. If you can't get the job done, it's a smokes and mirrors game, big time. Yeah, I mean, I think. To me, this whole cold clout thing, I've got so much to say on it. But I think personally, for people who exist on social media and they've got like big followings and that, for me, it's like social media is very important. Like you're saying about that human touch thing. It's very important that you are yourself. Like you are portraying the real you. And like, it really gets to me when people like put on this and you see them in person, they're a bit awkward, can't look you in the eye. It's like, bro, you've got a whole YouTube channel. Like I'm so confused. Like, <laughs> I'm so confused and that annoy that really annoys me. But then what more annoys me is when people use kind of like that thing about, you know, that whole round table echo chamber thing. That for me is a no-go. Like I hear that, put your friends on, but put people on who just deserve it. Like that for me is the biggest thing. And I feel like people fall to that whole popular thing. And then it really, it really has a knock on people's self-esteem, self-confidence. They think, oh no, I'm not good enough for this. And it's like, that's problematic because then you have people who are pretty shit at their job. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And because people like praise them all the time, they think that, oh, it's okay not to practice, for example, or not to do anything else forever because they've got this entitlement. And for me, like, I can't lie, like, obviously this is no shade to the London people here, but I feel like London, like, there's an entitlement here. Like, that's what I've learned since I've moved here from Birmingham. And then it's almost like, I feel like, I I had in my head at first, oh, I've got to work harder because I'm not from London, so these people won't rate me. And I've had some people, like, do some shade and that. But then as soon as they see me starting to do beats, they want to make friends. It's like, bruv, I'm lit. Don't even try that. Do you know what I mean? So that's it as well. When people try and um, jump onto you because of what you've worked for yourself, or and they feel like they're now entitled to that, or... Or be friends with me because I'm popular. You're popular too. We'll mm. look good together on socials. I'm not into all of that. But yeah, just ignore it. <laughs> Sorry. I just think it's silly. Honestly. Boy. Wicked. So we had we had two more questions. I want to fit both of them in. So let's keep our answers like snappy, yeah? yeah? So who was the... Where was the other question? Okay, cool. So I don't know if this was stretched. Do you mind like... Let's try Let's try something hard. Um... It's kind of along the same lines of clout chasing, but not exactly. Um, you guys gave like a very loose definition of what it means to be a creative and creativity. I'm not sure I kind of sit, it sits well with me. Because um, one of my gripes is this idea of what defines who a creative is and how, you know, when you have the... So I'm a creative, traditionally I'm a creative, I'm a fine artist and I study fine art and I do a lot of I so I go I go to university to study it and I put in a lot of work and I go to creative events panel discussions networking events because I want to get fed knowledge that will benefit my career but then everyone who sat on the panel is a youtuber or a content creator and I'm like 
and they're dishing out information that's useful, but I could sit down at home and watch your YouTube channel. Um, but it's like, you know, the question I have is how do, do we preserve traditional creativity and how do we, how do, we do that? Because I, I don't know, it's just, I haven't been to a creative event to an, a creative event in the whole of 2018 that had a fine artist or a photographer or, you know, uh, interior designer on the panel. It was all, you know, kind of like, I know we're in the technological social media age, so it was, it, it fits that. Um, I think this goes back to the question that we sort of posed at the start of like, what is culture and like um, how we sort of understand like what we consider to be high culture and low, low culture or different types of culture. Um, I think in this case, when it comes to um, like how we understand who a creative is and like whether someone has a YouTube channel or someone who is, um, I don't know, who um, is a podcast presenter or as someone who's a fine artist, I think what we're talking about here is different forms of creativity. Um, and I think that when it comes to so you were saying how you go to these events and you don't see people that are come from like the sort of the traditionally recognized fields. Um, I understand why that's frustrating, but also at the same time, I think the way that we are like when it comes to like technology and different mediums that we use, um, art will always find a way to kind of express itself in those new technologies and new mediums. So like when, for example, when um, photography as an art like in the late 19th century, early 20th century, a lot of people argued that photography was not art. Um, they argued that it was purely science. Um, but I think I don't think we should be afraid of um, accepting that there will be new forms of creativity that pop up. And I think if, um, you know, I, this is coming from someone that plays classical music. Like, I played classical music since I was four years old. So I'm one of those people that, I do think about this sometimes as well. Like, like, is should there be a distinction between you know, like, new forms of music and classical music, and you know, is it is it equally art? Is Kendrick Lamar equally as artistic as Tchaikovsky, for example? Um, and I would like to argue that they are. It's just that they appeal to different tastes, um, and they have you know, both both people have worked equally hard at their craft to, to do what they they excel at. So, I think it, basically the short answer is it, it it goes back to the question of you know, how we understand what culture is. Should should culture be, you know, seen on a level playing field? Or are we still going to have this discussion that, you know, there's high culture and then there's low culture? And yeah, so I think that's my answer, really. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, sometimes as people, as individuals, especially, we have a personal responsibility for ourselves. It's like, what are the spaces I want to place myself in? So if you're going to events and stuff, and it's like YouTubers and stuff like that, maybe this like, it's probably not the places that, you need to seek for fine art, but maybe just something else that's creative. Because I know that there's places like Square and Partners, they're in architecture people, and they engage with a lot of like interns who are doing different things and with like architectures, <laughs> photography events. Like obviously I do go up, so I'm always looking for photographers, but there's plenty of platforms like Creative Class, uh, Creative Class 71A London, Smith Sinclair, I always get a um, 
newsletter for them and like they have their own events working not working for art directors graphic designers and stuff like that but then those are like not elite spaces but again they're subcultures and they're not necessarily popular to the majority so I've had to go out and find them and like okay look who's in this space and who's in that space and sometimes that takes a long time because you've also got places like the ICA that do certain um, exhibitions and certain things like that and like the Barbican and stuff like that but it's like again it's like placing yourself and realizing what are the gems and the value that you want to get from each place and each event because you are that individual that you're into fine art but then you probably are into YouTube so you're going to be that fine artist to make a YouTube for example I'm not saying that that's what you're going to do but it's like it's probably not out there right now but it's needed but then it's the spaces that you put yourself in so and again a lot of them like fine art and architecture and stuff like that it's, it's very elite so when you're looking at spaces like that when you look into the top it's like you probably have to go a little bit more narrow because the popular culture right now again unfortunately it's the, it's the popular people so they are putting the popular peoples on the panels and stuff like that so you just have to dig a bit deeper to find those individuals that are going to appeal to you and and just to add on to everything so amazing um i think we also need to hold accountable the people who put on events um so someone someone like me you know as much as too much sauce was amazing um i disappointed myself and and i was shocked that the venue that i chose wasn't wheelchair friendly that that i went home and and really cried about that because i was thinking well the same blind spot i hold someone else accountable for um I, that is the same measuring stick i need to be for myself you know what I mean so I think when I hold events I then I'm responsible for every decision that gets made and also we must not be a lazy culture if there's a feedback form we must fill those out because it's those feedback forms I love feedback forms now that I do events I see the value in them I, I can't know what people think unless they communicate directly to me um, and so I think that is part of culture but also yeah the people who hold those events they, they there is so much to think about when you put on an event um, that things slip and when those slip it is now my job the next venue I have it will be wheelchair friendly because I've learned that and I've mourned over the stupid mistake I made I, I should have done that but I didn't and and you know I if anyone's listening who's in a wheelchair I'm really sorry about that and I think it's owning those mistakes to make sure that they're not repeated again So we got time for one more question or no? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just um, so you know, we don't have any um, feedback forms, so we kind of dropped the ball on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, send us an email. We'll drop the email or Twitter or whatever. But yes, yeah. Thanks, Swazi. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. First of all, what you've done today is really, really good. Had a really good time. Everyone said like really good stuff. So thank you, thank everyone. You. Um, so we mentioned earlier, you guys mentioned about like everyone having a creative flair and that sounds a bit cliche, but I think that's true as well. And I feel like we are at a really good time, all of us, because a lot more is allowed now. Like obviously even a couple of years ago when I decided not to go to university, it was a huge thing, but like younger people, even two years younger, it's not as big of a deal now. Um, so what I feel like lots of people, they do what they need to do. So like they go to uni, they do whatever boxes they need to tick, they do. And then like two years into their job, they're like, okay, I want a passion project now. I actually really enjoy doing events, for example. Or I really enjoy doing this and stuff like that. So I feel like if we could just encourage other people to run with what they are good at or their creative flair or whatever from a younger age, we would see more things happen at a faster rate. But obviously, it's not our place to go and educate everyone and be like, oh, why aren't you creative? 
Um, what do you think like that thing about how when you're a child as you get older it just gets less and less your divergent thinking and your creativity and stuff do you feel like that's reversible is it possible is it our responsibility to help everyone get on that wave do you know what I mean like what can we do yeah I think I think it's definitely reversible you can definitely tap back into it but then I also think like again I think so we're growing as a company now like there's like seven of us and hopefully by the end of the year we'll be about 25 and we're thinking about now about company culture and what can we implement to make sure people don't lose themselves and what have we done for ourselves so for, for us it's like flexible working I start work at 10 I can leave between 4 and 6 if I want but that's because I've got something else to do do you know what I mean and I think that there's also there's a responsibility on people like who facilitate so people who have um I don't know maybe an after school club or if you're in school as a teacher if you're running a company or if you're part of HR or if you're on an advisory board for anything or just anything that can allow people who are in those spaces that can't necessarily see it straight away to allow them to understand oh guys there's a well-being class I think everyone should take it in fact I'm giving everyone half a day do you know what I mean or encouraging the kids after school that you know it's not just for the kids who are inactive or um, where obesity is a problem it's for everyone and talk to the parents and things like that I feel like it's important that within like I remember in uni it was it was dry but like on a Wednesday everyone would have half a day to go and do like rugby football or whatever but no one really did it they just went with their bedrooms or whatever but then actually I think oh I wish I had really taken up something then so I feel like when people are a part of it, especially a routine, if they're at work or anything like that, there's a responsibility on the people who hold the, who make the decisions to encourage those people to go and do something that they really enjoy. And I think that they'll see more of an active um, role that those people will be like, okay, yeah, I want to really do this. I think um, I completely agree. <laughs> I think um, something like that, though, needs real structural changes, like real systemic changes, because the way capitalism is set up like <laughs> you need to work to pay bills to pay the your future rent, of work is changing though that is true that's true but in some industries faster <laughs> than others so the way the education system is set up as well we're very much there's a, a kind of a cookie cutter approach where we're taught in a way in which we can be analytical and go into quite corporate environments so we can thrive in those environments um whereas people that don't fit that mould who may have more creative endeavours, it has to be seen as something that's extracurricular, something that's done on the side. It's not a, a major thing unless you go to like a specialist school, for instance. So unless there's real changes to the education system where it's more accessible for people that have different interests and different ways of working and learning, I think it would be difficult for people to make that, um, essentially is a dilemma as far as like whether you're going to sacrifice pay in the short term to pursue your creative endeavours or whether you're just going to go all out and just pour all your energies into it that's something that has to be decided on an individual level there's people that have the ability and the um, privilege to do so because they may have like family money to back them so they can go on a one year two year thing do something but there's other people that maybe if they went to uni for instance fresh out of uni they need to start working because they got to pay rent do you know what I mean so um, it's, it's a very case-by-case -case basis, but I think there needs to be real systemic changes for that to happen and stuff so, like changing the work culture where people... I mean, there's, there's things that has been talking about even on a policy level with um, the idea of having like a, like a four-day work week or like um, even, you know, there's talks about having a um, universal income thing, right? 
so where everyone will get like a minimum kind of um, cash amount so that they can kind of pay the necessities in life, which gives them the choice to, okay, this, I got all my bases covered. Now I can extend my energy into other things outside of that. And if I want to earn more money, cool, I can do that. So yeah, these are these until these policies and these real systemic changes have um, this real legs behind them, then I think it'll be quite difficult. It's always going to be a bit of a dilemma. I was going to say though, but I take that point, but like, <clears throat> like while we're in the here and now, like somebody spoke to me about the idea of entrepreneurship, which isn't it's like entrepreneurship, but think about it this way, which is like often I talk to people, my day-to-day -day job is I'm in finance. So I often talk to people say, oh, I wanna, how do I raise this kind of financing? Or can you look at these numbers? I want to leave this business. And I tell people, why do you want to leave your job to go and set something up when you don't have the adequate financing to go and do that? And what I say in response is, and it's not a ridiculous idea because it's there, but I'm like... You never told me that, but whatever, I'm here. So. Bro, you're doing all right for yourself, man, anyway. But no, but they have like a wonderful idea and they say, I just want to leave work, that's it. And they don't have any, they don't have any like savings or you know, they can't cover, they can't wash their face come the end of the year. And I say, sorry, I finance them as in you can't look after yourself money-wise come the end of the year. And I say, look, why don't you do it this way? Like, when you, like, you need to, when you, when you start off with an idea, it needs to be viable. Ideas are a dime a dozen. You have a product, it can be successful, but you need to be in the here and now and the realism of what you're doing in the sense that, I mean, Quaker, you got, you got a business, but you work as well. I have a business as well that I, I work on while I still work. While you're getting that, that business up to that viable stage, you stay in your work. And I, we have to understand that life is a process. And we also have to understand that life is unfair. I hate it, but what, the expression that life is unfair, um, twice as hard, half as far, I hate the expression, but as I get older, I realize it's true. Um, you know the expression, twice as hard, half as far, yeah? I hate it, but I realize it's true. And all of these truths that my mom says to me in small quotes, I realize they're true. So as I realize that life actually has, there's a harshness to life that you mm. only appreciate as you get a bit older and less shielded from your parents. And in that sense, I say, look, you got this business idea, you want to do it, run with it, but be wise as well. Stay and work, but develop that idea at night. And then as you get on and the product, by the grace of God, becomes more successful, you can, you can step away from that source of income into this source of income. And that's how I think about business. It's like after three years, like you left, but you had like a, it was basically funding with your, your boss kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I mean, like, I suppose there was intricacies to how it is, but, but I agree the entrepreneurship and that thing about it in the sensible, like I was in that company and I was so frustrated with certain things. And there's interns in that, he's been, he was CEO of that company for like eight, nine years. He's been there for 15 years. So it wasn't like, he could have left ages ago, but there was an indispensable thing about me. But it felt like, actually, if I propose something to the company, I can actually build something that is going to be sustainable after that. But again, it's about, again, making yourself indispensable, learning the things about entrepreneurship, because I do think real change can come from people. Like, it's not every day just leave, leave, leave. You have to also try and implement some sort of changes because then the structures will just continue to be recycled. Mm. You know what, I want to hear one final thing from you because you're like looking at me like, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to add, um, when I first started off doing anything creative, um, I was really upset with my parents for not supporting what I wanted to do. Um, and now as I'm a little bit older, I have so much um, gratitude towards them because the thing is, 
it's about security. And the things that I was pursuing didn't look very secure. A radio job. No one in my family does radio. No one in my family does hosting. Um, my mum works in HR. She's a very nine to five office woman. Um, my dad was nine to five doing photography. It collapsed because the digital took over. And I was a chef, but very much still nine to five. Um, and, and I think we shouldn't glamorize the creative life because behind the creative life on Instagram, you just see the final product. You don't always get to see the hours. You don't always get to see the multiple jobs. I teach English in the evening because the industry doesn't pay me enough some months. So there are things that you must do to side hustle or have another thing going on the side. Um, but for our parents, any creators in the room, don't feel, um, just a word of advice because I've had it, don't feel let down by parents who um, don't always seem initially supportive um, because they're just concerned about security. And that is true. If you see the Indian Asian community, it's doctors, it's it, those jobs that offer security. Um, when our parents came over from whatever country, that was what they were faced by. They weren't trying to do big jobs to be in the highlights. They were doing jobs that were going to get them an, a regular income. That's only one generation away from us, you know. We are only one generation forward doing things that is crazy to our parents. They were like, what? You do this on the weekend? You don't do this Monday to Friday? So even within our own community, our own culture, within our own four walls of our house, there are things that we must change. Um, and the only way we must do that is to be gracious with people who, who just need that extra bit of time. They don't live in our generation now, do they? Um, and so, yeah, if any creatives, don't be glamorized by the end product. There's a huge sort of story that goes on beforehand. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I think. <laughs> Wicked. Round of applause for our audience who ask questions. Mad. Thank you. So I'm really sorry that we never got to like everyone's questions. And like, as with every episode we've ever done, I'm now leaving with more questions and answers. But that's probably a good thing because I feel like every time we talk, there's just so much more to unpack in a subject. And you can talk and talk and talk it out and then think and think and think. And then you end up thinking, like, wow, I've thought about this in a whole new light. And thank you once again to our guests who've given us an incredible like insight. Um, actually, like, before we wrap up, like, where can we find, where can people find you? Um, so just follow Shani Love. So S-H-A-N-I-E-L-O-V-E-S on Instagram and Twitter. And follow Gotmag and follow Elephant Room UK. We're on Instagram and Twitter as well. Wicked. And also join the guest list. It's lit. Cool. And Swazi. Um, yeah, I'm really boring. Just Swazi McKelly, S-W-A-R-Z-Y-M-A-C-A-L-Y on socials. Yeah. Amazing. I'm sure if you follow them, you get so many insights into incredible things, right? But um, thank you so much for coming. This has been our first ever live show. And, um, you know, that's why there's no feedback forms, right? And um, I feel like for us, this has been something that we never thought this day would come. It was four guys sitting in a room just chatting about things that we care about. And now there's a whole room full of people in front of us. And it means a lot from the bottom of our hearts. Like each and every single one of us met up on Sunday. We had a little like guys going for brunch thing and just sat there on South Bank being like, raw, that's actually happening. And it's happened. And that's because of people like you who followed us this far. Um, and it means so much to us. Like this is episode one of season three. So you've been a great part of like episode one. This will be going out in a couple of weeks time. And then from there, got much more planned. I'm not going to drop anything. That's just going to be, you'll see it on the socials, man. And follow us on the socials at OTB Podcast UK on Twitter and Instagram. And you can send us an email if you want to, um, otbpodcastuk at gmail.com. Um, from all of us, thank you so much for coming, man. It's been wicked to see you here. Dictating a culture, being a creative, maybe you'll leave more questions and answers, and you're exactly like me. But thank you so much, man. It's been wicked seeing you all.
Caribbean music? Yeah. Announcement. Announcement. Like, I think this the venue doesn't shut until 11, so you can hang out and drink if you want to. There's still gonna this room's gonna we're gonna get rid of the chairs. You can stay in here. Orders that bar out there, and you can get drinks and stuff. But yeah, feel free to hang around and chat. We'll be here for a bit too.